Very simple little story that Jesus told while he was on his way to Jerusalem. But on his way, it didn't prevent him from making a stop when he heard the cries of those in need. There are so many things in this story that are interesting to us, some things that are puzzling to us. Sometimes we get stuck on verses like this and stories like this where Jesus tells the man, your faith has made you well. And sometimes we can get on a tangent there if we're not careful believing that when we have faith, we are always made well. And so this passage has some, let's say, things that we have to climb over, obstacles we have to scale and understand before we move on into the passage. While it's true that his faith made him well, in this passage of Scripture and mostly throughout the whole Scriptures, wholeness and salvation, wellness and healing always go together. But healing does not always occur as it did for these uh, ten lepers instantaneously, nor does it always occur for people on this earth. Nevertheless, despite that, those verses that cause us to ponder and to think, there's much more going on here than meets the eye in this simple story. I've deemed them signs of wholeness, kingdom signs, if you will. And in these verses in Luke, it seems like that Jesus is kind of rapid fire uh, telling them stories, giving them pictures of what it means to be a part of the kingdom that he came to establish. And his ways are not always the ways of others when he came, and yet what he had to say was important for them to hear. And I think sometimes we get caught up with the idea that we're so busy we don't have time for ministry. And here was Jesus in this passage on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the mission that he had been given by God, his Father. And on the way to that journey, he heard the cries of the people. And it was necessary for him to delay what he was doing overall in order to provide ministry in this context of human need. You know, when you think about that just in its own self, you get a true picture of what it's like to live as a Christian. We all have schedules. We all have missions, some of them of which are taking care of our daily needs, doing a task that we do for, to make our living in the world, taking care of family and the things we do there. But there's also the kinds of opportunities that come in our lives that really can't be strategized. They can't be planned for. They can't be calculated. And in fact, one of the writers I was reading went on to say that more often than not, True ministry and real transformation occurs in the interruptions of life rather than in the things we plan to do. I found that very true for myself. And even in the pastoral ministry of which I've been engaged for a number of years now, some of the best moments in my life, some of the times when I felt like God used me uh, best, were not moments that I had planned, not they didn't stem from programs that were being done, but rather they happened in the normal occurrences of life where I was on my way to do something else, quite frankly. And someone in need, someone who was hurting, someone who was confused would come into my life with a question, with 
a request with a comment that would open the door for ministry that would change their life. And here is Jesus, faithful to his mission, and yet not so faithful to the mission that he understood was before him, that he didn't have time to hear the cries of the needy and to stop and to minister to someone in need. Ties in beautifully with the passage of Scripture we've read in the last couple of weeks. He heard their cries. This passage goes on to say that kingdom signs are not only about forgiveness that is unlimited, but in this passage he's going to talk about gratitude and praise and worship that flows from being grateful as a person. In these verses, a life that is filled with gratitude is lifted up for us as a mean to well-being, as a mean to wholeness, if you will, in life. Ten lepers, without touching them, without commanding them, he just told them, go and present yourself to the priest. Now, I'm sure that some of them were thinking, the priest is not going to want to see us. I mean, we can't even go in the temple. How can we present ourselves to the priest? There are all kinds of reasons for these men at this point to say no, but they didn't. Instead, they took the word of this man, Jesus, and at least had enough faith to follow his direction. And so they started out toward the priest, and lo and behold, while they were still traveling and on the way to the priest, they noticed they were healed. How many times in life are people healed when they're just going about doing the normal things of a faithful life? We look so often for these big, huge moments in our lives, and yet in reality, much of the healing that comes to us comes through the gentle moving of God's Spirit as we are making our way on our journey in life. Not in great and flamboyant ways, but rather in the quiet stillness of God's presence, we receive healing, we receive direction, we receive love, we receive peace. It is those kinds of things that make life worth living. These lepers were ecstatic, of course, over being healed. Now, if you had leprosy in those days, you were truly an outcast, not in just some ways, but in all ways. You couldn't even go in the temple. You were cast out of your city in most cases. They were living apart by themselves, probably in a group, begging for existence because no one would hire them for work in the conditions they lived. In those days, it was considered a sign of that leprosy, was considered a sign of spiritual uncleanliness. And so they, they were excluded, if you will, from the whole community. Now, we don't have so much leprosy today in our world, but I do believe that it's possible that we have conditions of the heart or mind or spirit that cause people to be excluded from our midst. There are people who are also crying out for someone to hear their cries, people who may be different from the norm, people who may not know what it's like to be touched, people who have conditions in their life that cause them to not fit into the normal slots of living, who often would yearn just for the touch or the hug of a warm embrace from someone who cares about them, who sees them as a person even in their afflicted conditions. Sometimes it's just torment of the soul when our souls are so stressed and so tormented that we yearn for the touch of the loving hand of someone who would take the time to understand us, 
to hear us, to forgive us perhaps, to speak a word of love or companionship along the way. Someone who would not accept that we were unacceptable. And after this healing, the nine of them scurried on to the priest because a whole new life was waiting for them. The healing of God had come to them, and they were going to benefit directly and immediately as soon as the priest declared them whole. Salvation had delivered to them a quality of life that had been gone for a long time. For them, healing of the skin restored them into community life. For them, they were filled with joy because life was going to be much better. And they wanted to go off to the priest and have him pronounce it over them so they could claim it as their own. They had gotten what they needed. But there's this one guy in their midst who really didn't belong there. And yet his condition in life had thrown him in with nine of these Jewish men. The scripture tells us he was a Samaritan. He was a double outcast, if you will. He had it doubly bad. In fact, he couldn't go to the temple with the other nine and be pronounced well anyway because he was a Samaritan. And their faith was something different. Their understanding of God at that point as who he was and where he was from excluded him from the community of faith. And yet this one Samaritan is the one who is the point of this story. The point of this story is not that these ten lepers were healed, but rather the point of this story is their response to the healing touch of God in their lives. And this, this Samaritan doesn't go back to family or friends, but rather instead goes back immediately to the man who was responsible for his healing. Immediately he fell on his feet and worshiped and glorified God thanking Jesus for what he had been given. And we can certainly identify with that. We know what it feels like to be redeemed. We're gathered here as a community of faith because we have felt the amazing touch of God's grace that has forgiven us of our sin and cleansed us and put us into relationship with God. It is something that we have built our lives around. But in this particular passage, as this occurred at this time, we want to look at what is going on from the other side of the aisle as well. Where are the nine, Jesus asked the question. Where are the nine? You know, every church has a group of saints who inhabit the kitchen. Now, they inhabit the kitchen Sometimes because they love to cook, sometimes because they love to serve, sometimes because it's just a job that has to be done. Now, you can tell the ones who go there as a calling and those who just go because there's a job to be done, right? (laughs) Those who go because there's a job to be done sometimes are grumbling a little bit. Where are the nine? 208, three of us are in here cleaning up. Where are the rest of the somebodies? Yeah, it's normal for us to think that way, right? It was normal for Jesus to think that way too. Now, Jesus was not just wanting them to come back and thank him. That wasn't the point of why he wanted them to come back. 
He was looking for a greater realization just for a personal thank you to Jesus. He was looking for a life that would be transformed by gratitude. And that is what he felt. Now, we feel funny when we receive praise. Many of us do. Many of us were raised in homes like that. I was raised in a, in a good Presbyterian home of many years before we moved somewhere where there wasn't a Presbyterian church, and that's how you become Methodist. <laughs> the man who sold us the land invited us to church because there was no Presbyterian church, and we went, and pretty soon uh, Presbyterians became Methodists. My parents, I'm glad to say, not because of anything I did, were wonderful parents. I've been blessed beyond any semblance of worthiness by their lives. My father, who went to be with the Lord in 1995, is often in my mind. And oftentimes, he's in my mind when I'm doing something I could have picked something else to do that would have been better. I could have made a better choice. My father, being the good Presbyterian that he was, didn't talk a lot about what you did. He got up, he went to church, he sang in the choir every Sunday. Nobody missed church in his household unless you were sick. And the sickness meant all-day sickness. We tried the morning sickness thing, it just didn't work. You know, if you were sick in the morning and couldn't go to church, you were put on the couch for the rest of the day. And TV wasn't much back in those days like it is now during the day, right? There just wasn't any escaping that church was so important that everybody had to go. My daddy was a thoughtful and a dutiful man. I do wish he would have said more in language about what he felt because I know he was deeply moved by music. He loved to sing in the quartet singing of the day of his, his culture. And he just loved to sing praises to God. Being the quiet man he was, he never argued with anyone about politics. And that included my uncles. Whenever we'd have family gatherings on my mother's side, they were quite fiery in their argumentation. And daddy would be usually seen and sat smiling, not sucked in by the debate. And every now and then he might make a comment when it was just, uh, when he comment about what was said later on. But it was never in front of mother to embarrass her, never said in any way to put them down, but just a word of quiet instruction occasionally about what they had said and what he hoped they really meant. That impacts a life by the things he did much more than things he could have said as I watched him for all my life. My mother's the same way, and she still lives at 91. Um, Amazing little red-haired woman filled with that same fiery temper. A stay-at-home mom back when stay-at-home moms were common. A Sunday school teacher for many years. Uh, uh, The most strictly adhering one to the faith in our family, always reading her Bible and books about faith. Mama was one of those kind of mothers that did everybody. She took the neck. Who wants to eat the neck of a chicken, right? Well, when you lived on a limited income with one man working for a government before they ever paid a reasonable salary, whenever you sat down and had chicken, there was the, f- the father to eat and get the piece that he preferred, and there was the chicken to be fought over by the other three kids, including the pulley bone that everybody wanted to pull, of course. 
And then there was what was left, the wings, the neck, and the things that people didn't go running toward. Mama always took what was left. I'm thankful for the example she set before me in life where we had enough. We had plenty, but we didn't have much of what many others had. But we had all that we needed, and we never thought about being people who were without something that we really needed. I don't know how Daddy did it as I look back on it, but when baseball season came around, I always had a glove. I always could buy the shirt for the T-shirt for the sport I was playing in because Daddy always saw that that was true. Not only brought the shirt, but he showed up at every practice and at every game that he could. So did my mother, there to support all three of their children. You see, a lot of who James M. Miller and William D. Miller and Sandra Elaine Miller are was because of those two faithful people. They lived a life of gratitude to God in a quiet, respectful way. The three of us kids didn't turn out like them exactly in any way, but the three turned out pretty unique in their own way, I think. And I think that's what they intended all along. Three children who could be individuals of their own and who would know that going to church, worshiping God, were important. It was a natural response for people to do who were part of the kingdom. And yet many times I found myself through the years asking the question Jesus asked, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Not healed. The healing occurred for all ten, but only one of them was made whole. And that was the one who came back and returned to give grateful thanks and praise to God. Only the one whose heart was filled with gratitude, only the one who desired to worship the, the one who had saved him from this terrible disease, only that one returned in fullness of spirit. Now, Carl Bart, a noted theologian from centuries ago, did say that the basic human response to God is gratitude. Without gratitude, he understood you really can't be a whole person. C.S. Lewis, in his writings, commenting about the Psalms, talked about gratitude and well-being as being connected, directly connected. And that's why the Psalms are so filled with words of thanksgiving as a part of their worship. And as I read this story and as I went along, I kept asking myself, where are the nine in today's world? where people understood that being well, being whole, was more important than physical healing of a disease. Because we don't all get that immediate touch on the earth where our, where our lives are an example of physical healing. We don't all get born into a world where it's easy because we have faithful, loving parents. We don't all find ourselves in the food chain being blessed by superior gifts and talents that let us rise to the tops of our profession. Not everybody receives all the gifts that there are to be coveted in this life in which we live. But the gift that is most important, the gift of faith, the gift of wholeness that comes in salvation, is available to everyone. And to everyone who reaches out to receive it, They respond if they really take it to heart in gratitude. People who don't really want to serve God don't really 
have a relationship with God, do they? If you think about it, I mean, some of the things I've heard all in my life, well, you don't really have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that's not far from true. You don't really have to go to church to become a Christian. But let me ask you this. If you are a Christian and you love God and you're grateful for the salvation you've given, how can you not return to a community of faith to worship? If worship and salvation are intertwined with gratitude, how can those who have been saved have gratitude and not want to praise the one who saved them. And I've said that to many persons. who say, well, you don't have to go to church. And I've said, well, that's true. You don't have to go to church to be saved. But why would you not want to go to church if you are saved? Oh, I know all the excuses. We could all name them off for why people say they don't go to church. But I guess my disturbing question for me today is, if you don't have a heart that wants to praise because you're grateful to God for what God has done for you, then perhaps you're not a Christian. Perhaps you really never have accepted what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be healed, to be whole, if you will. And I think in our ministry, as we're on the way to Jerusalem in our own lives, we get lots of opportunities to talk to people that think they are Christian because they say they have faith in Jesus, but the gratitude is not there. The appreciation of what God has given them is not there. To me, it's like stewardship. Stewardship is a waste of time almost in a church. Sorry, Brian. Uh, From the standpoint that stewardship, if you have to hammer it out of people in the way that many people do, stewardship and want to see stewardship presented, if you have to beat it out of people, so to speak, emotionally and rationally, then you're failing on what stewardship is. Stewardship is a grateful response to God who has given us everything, everything, every talent, even the skills we work hard to acquire are able to be acquired because of the talent that came by being birthed. Just by being America, American, born in this country, we are grateful to God. What a gift it is to be a part of this land, despite the fact that we have to go through presidential elections every four years. I mean, beyond that, the nation is much greater than that. And the people who lead us and inspire us are the people that we're grateful for. And they are the people who are grateful for what they've been given. Nothing is more powerful than a rich man or woman who is grateful to God who's provided their wealth and who are therefore sharing it to bring healing and wealth to others. Nothing is more powerful than that. But as so often is the case, I'm afraid, in our nation and in our culture, we are hinged to things that make it difficult for us to live in this holistic way. We are, we are chained to cultural norms. You get what you work for. You are uh, what you achieve to be. You know, you can achieve anything. You can do everything. And it all becomes me, me, me. And faith becomes mine, mine, mine. Thank God I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. Now I can do whatever I want because I'm going to heaven when I die. 
No, 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 no. That's not real salvation. Real salvation is, thank God I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved. Now I can take the word to others. Now I can use out of the gratitude for the grace I've been given, the opportunity to give grace to others. That's a saved heart. That's a saved life. Not a one who thinks about, I'm so glad I got saved, but one who thanks God for saving me. Now help me save someone else, Lord. That is a saving kind of faith. Gratitude and the faith that we have are so intertwined that it's impossible for us to live life without a grateful spirit. A spirit of ingratitude is more deadly than disease. Christians who feel like they have to serve. Y'all may not want to thank a pastor for their service after I get through preaching for this moment, so let me say it gently. When people always complain about what they're volunteering to do at church, I know it's mostly good-natured or it's kidding around. Like the four who've been so engaged for you on your behalf in the events of the past year, they have spent countless hours working on it. And every now and then you can just see the weirdness in them. They're like, okay, I've I got to get back to Jerusalem and my Jerusalem instead of this. You know, I've I, I got to get there. And every now and then you can see the weirdness in their faces. But they always show up. They always do what has to be done in order to finish the task in front of them. Because they are grateful, I believe, for what God and the church has given them. And they want, without reservation, to give back to the church, even when the request seems more demanding than is reasonable. Gratitude can, should be expressed to the people who do such things for you. Sometimes I think teachers... Parents drop off their children to the teacher, and they forget over the many weeks that teaching goes on to stop by with their children and say, thank you for teaching my children the scriptures. Thank you for putting up with little Johnny. I don't know if there's a Johnny in the, our children's department or not. I'm not talking about you if I am. <laughs> little Susie, I'm not talking about the, the, Susie. I have a cousin named Susie, and Johnny just comes up. But little children who sometimes are such stinkers in Sunday school. I mean, I know. I, I know firsthand. I watched me. You know, they put up with so much from us to try and teach us something. And we probably don't really want to hear it at that point. But thank God for teachers. I remember the day I went back to my high school English teacher at a football game when I returned home and I was in seminary. And I saw her, and it was uncharacteristic for me to do this. I just not, uh, my family, my wife will tell you, we're not big on saying I love you. We're not big on saying thank you for every little thing done. Sally's family, very big on those things. My family, we were Presbyterian. <laughs> we just knew we were thankful, and we knew they knew that we were thankful, and we didn't have to say it. Well, we needed to have said it more. I saw Mrs. B.T. Cook. B.T. was her husband. Mrs. Cook was an English teacher like you've never seen before. She taught all the levels in high school in that small school. She read every paper, and she caught every comma. 
And when you had done it so terribly, she rewrote it for you, telling you why it was so bad that you wrote this paragraph and turned it into me. College English was a joke. Seminary writing papers was a joke. I did most of them overnight. And I got A's and B's. And I told her, I said, you know, I never knew when you were teaching me English that it would be so important to my life. But I want you to know that every time I write a sermon outline, it's based upon what you taught me. Every time I write a paper, it's based on what you taught me. And I'm going to tell you the truth, Ms. Cook. I turned in lots of papers you would have failed me on that I got B's for. And she laughed, and she thanked me, and her eyes twinkled like they did, and she had little squinty eyes. And it was a thrill of her for somebody to come back and thank her for all that work. She read those big stacks of papers every night, marking everything to help us all. I would not be the preacher I am had I not had those lessons from her. And I soon learned that not everybody had those lessons. She made English easy. She made it profitable. Now, I want to move on to not only was he grateful, but he responded from that gratefulness for worship. Gratitude leads people to worship. People who are not grateful really have trouble worshiping. They can show up for the event. They can sit there and be a part of it. But it's only when their heart is overcome in worship with remembrances of the fact that I once was lost and now I'm found that they can truly worship. It's only when they are grateful, when they remember that God has helped me to be healthy and strong. It's only when God when they remember that God has helped me, though not healthy and strong, God has helped me through difficult times in my life. It's only when they have remembered that the presence of God in my life is more to be thankful for than any challenging circumstance I ever confront. It's only when I'm realizing that everything I am and everything about me is because of someone else and not about myself that I can get beyond a selfish kind of living into an other-centered, God-centered way of viewing the world in which I live. It's only through gratitude that we ever really get to worship God. Gratitude. Being thankful to the one who's really responsible for who we are and what we are doing is a critical element in our lives. People often come up, and I'll admit it, I don't want to look down at the floor. It's very uncomfortable for me when people are saying, go and tell pastors you're, you're thankful for them. Please don't say that to me this morning when you leave, okay? Uh, I, I know you're grateful, and I appreciate it, but it makes me want to look at the floor. I don't do receiving praise well. You, I, don't, I do need it. It is part of my personality. I'm aware of my tests that I've taken that show I cling to those words, perhaps because my father didn't do enough of it, and I know some of you are going to do it anyway, but... It was kind of embarrassing. Cindy was standing up here at front when they were telling to, to thank the pastors and staff. There should be an S in there. There's not a pastor in this congregation. There are pastors. There are three of them. And then there are the pastors who are the lay people who have the gift of pastoring but are not ordained who also care for this flock. There are many people for you to say thank you to in this congregation. They have been important in your spiritual life. And I hope you will do that. Uh, not just in the month of October, but every time you have the opportunity, because you never know when that opportunity to say thank you will be gone. 
And you can't say that to them once they're gone. Other than in the spirit. Ephesians 5 and 20 tells us to give thanks for all things to God. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 tells us that in everything give thanks. Giving thanks, it should, it should just exude from us. I've had back issues this week, which I have often. It's not because Sally was gone. It just happens. It typically happens between now and February. Something I get less active physically, and so therefore I have back issues. And back issues were killing me, so I thought I'd do something really good for my back on Thursday because it had been so bad on Monday and Tuesday, and I was having trouble walking, so I went and played golf Thursday. <laughs> I forgot that Sally was in Tyler. So when I hobbled into the house, uh, there was nobody there to take care of me except me. Bad planning on my part. And then I remembered, and I was thankful that I had purchased a little machine on TV that my wife had shook her head at me again because I'd bought something I knew nothing about that was advertised on TV. I'd had it about a month and a half, and it's really helpful to a back, they said, if you would use it regularly. So I had it sitting by my bed so it was close at hand. But I just never opened it. Uh, my wife suggested for far off, maybe I ought to open it. So I tried this silly little thing. And it, it, the title of it is Back to Life. <laughs> Have you ever tried to find a chiropractor on uh, Fridays? First of all, no, uh, some people love to go to the chiropractor. I do not. I've been about twice in my life, and I said the last time I would never go again. But when I couldn't walk hardly Thursday, I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to go to a chiropractor. But fortunately, they were all off on Friday. You just can't see one. I thought about calling Guy and say, Guy, uh, I'm hurting. But it wasn't my normal muscle spasms. It was sharp pain from a nerve that wasn't right. So I decided I'd try the stupid little machine. Friday morning, supposed to do it twice a day. I think I did it about four times the first day. I woke up the next morning, and I took steps with barely any pain. And by yesterday, I wasn't having hardly any pain. That stupid little machine worked. <laughs> I'm so thankful for those people who advertise that on TV <laughs> and that I bought the sales pitch and bought the little machine. Now you're going to want to know where you can find a little machine if you have lower back issues. Well, you can't have mine. I'm going to be on it here when I go home. <laughs> I'm so thankful for many people who has spoken into my life, not just my parents, but grandparents, aunts and uncles, people at the churches where I was raised. I could call them by name. I'm so thankful for the people that I've pastored when I didn't know what I was doing, and that was often in the beginning, when I was not acting as a pastor should, which was also often in the beginning. I'm thankful for the people who sat through sermons that were hard to listen to, not because they were about tough subjects, but because they were presented in ways that made it difficult for them to hear. These are some of the things that I'm thankful for in my own life. People often thank me for just being the person that my parents raised me to be, and they call it pastoring, but my parents should get the thanks for that, really. I'm thankful for all that God has given me, I'm thankful for friends and co-workers like you. I'm thankful for this congregation that has been through a lot. 
in the past two years. I'm thankful that you're still here. And there are many of you that I need to thank for words of kindness that you've offered to me in days past during struggles that will soon be over. Don't live with a thankful heart that at present that expresses thanks. There are many people that don't. There are many people that never say thank you. There are many people that worse than not saying thank you, thank you do not live as if they appreciate what they've been given. We like to take credit for it because of our own hard work. That's a part of our culture. But it is destructive to our faith relationship with Jesus Christ. When we take credit for what God has gifted us with, in most cases, much more so than what we have done ourselves. You may think that's a little uncomfortable to hear. I'm okay with that. I want you to think about it because I think it's so important for you. Kingdom signs of transformation, a forgiving spirit, a grateful spirit, and a worshiping spirit. These are marks that should characterize our lives. How aware are we today of the contributions made by others to our lives that have made us who we are? How many people are directly responsible to your own successes in many ways that Perhaps you've never considered it. Teachers that taught me how to think about God in, in seminary. Teachers who would talk after classes about the Christian faith and encourage me, prepare me for a life as a pastor, making being a pastor so much easier than it could have been. Contributions that God has given me that I recognize over and over again that give me benefits that I cannot rightly claim for myself because they're directly related to who God made me as a person. When I begin to think about some of these things, I begin to think about who is someone that I need to thank today. I invite you to ask yourself that question in regard to your own life as we share a time of silence together in prayer.